Welcome in to yet another edition of the Return of the Roar podcast. Man, that feels good to say after a long, long break. Hey, fire it up, boy. Fire it up. It's going to be back. It's, it's be good back. to be back. Myself, Chris Watkins, Frankie Cardicelli, back in the saddle recording. Uh, I think this is this is supposed to be on YouTube now, so you can yeah. check us out on YouTube.com uh, slash Sacktown Sports 1140. Check us out over there. Uh, we have not sat down and officially like recorded a podcast since... All-Star Weekend. Were we in Salt Lake City? We were in Salt Lake City. In our separate Airbnbs <laughs> across the city, recording like uh, our our different breakfasts that arrived yep. from our, our DoorDash. <laughs> we're just like... In, it was that was a that was a very weird thing, but uh, it, it feels good, man. It's well, crazy. Tell the people why we haven't like what, what have you been up it's to. It's been wild. I what mean, it's been, been wild. The, you know, uh, our our last couple episodes on the feed are uh, us on Deuce and Mo as as that uh, journey came and went, and that was a great time, and we'll always always remember those times fondly. But uh, since then, since their departure, uh, for those who don't know, I guess I've been filling in in the midday slots uh, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. for man about. Two, start, two to three months now since at this point. Uh, so, yeah, I haven't had a lot of spare time. Uh, this uh, is definitely something I know people just think you you turn the mics on and then you record a podcast, which is kind of what you do it for a long time. But, uh, you know, we're trying to do this, uh, do this right and do it better than ever. Uh, so it's good to be back uh, after a a long, long, long hiatus. A lot has happened. A lot, a lot has happened. Kings made the playoffs. They finally, the return, the, the roar has officially returned, the roar, y'all. The roar returned, and we just were like, wow. Ah, that was cool. That was cool. Yeah. No, but really, it was very, uh, it was very chaotic couple of months for everybody. Anyone for while, that's in Kings yeah. media can, can uh, relate to the fact how chaotic things were. And Chris got thrown into his new role. I was uh, on the ground doing yeah. a lot of different things. We were traveling for the end of the season in Portland and, uh, the playoffs and whatnot. Um, so we definitely missed doing this. And I yeah. was on with them. If, if you, yeah. if you right. tune into 1140, I was on the air with these guys every day. We just, you know, we, the, the 30 minutes to an hour we would usually record went to Chris Deuce and Mo or Chris right. Whitey or uh, Chris and, and Kyle Madsen and what have you. The list goes on. Um, the list goes on. <laughs> uh, Cal's and Rami, them too, of course. Uh, so Nick doesn't kill me. Uh, but uh, it, it was a very chaotic time, a fun time. So I guess let's start yeah. there. What was your first Kings? I guess I don't want to make it sound like you know you've never experienced a Kings playoff run before. No, as, not. <laughs> as, as grown you know, people, yeah. like we've never experienced a Kings playoff run before. No. So, how was that experience for you? It was great. It was everything anyone ever said it would be, and honestly, so much more. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the series more in terms of the actual game action a little bit later, but. Just the atmosphere, like game one and game seven, I've been saying it since it happened, but game one for me, just as a moment, is always going to live in infamy. Just not even, that's probably not the right word, but it's just going to live forever as a moment in time for me that I, I don't know if it'll ever be topped. I don't think it'll ever be topped by anything. Just the atmosphere. I mean, we were, uh, James, Jason Ross hosted a, a pre pregame show that we did out from Doko and, <laughs> I'm talking like three hours before doors even open. It was, it was, I've, I I continue to say this too. I've not seen that big of a collection of people only wearing Kings gear in one central location in my entire life. 
I've never in my life seen it was King's Cella. It really yes. was like a festival of Kings fans. And just to be a part of it, be literally in the middle of it was was just absolutely nuts. It was bonkers. And, you know, it's no surprise because Kings fans are are lunatics in, in the best way possible. But like I just don't ever think any any environment I ever step in will feel as good as that game felt. And then once the game got going as well, you throw the result on top of that. It was just a celebration from the start of the day to the end of the day. How about you? What, what's your what's your moment? No, uh, that uh, you you put it perfectly. Kings Cello was in my brain before you even said it, yeah. and that's something we kind of talked about. I think with uh, like summer league, how it was Coachella for NBA fans. Yes. This was like a Coachella for Kings fans, yeah. and it kind of reminded me of like I, I've been to. Uh, like Giants playoff games and sure. you're kind of around the area around uh, Oracle Park and it's it's right. very just uh, all the fans are amped up they're in their gear the atmosphere you can just feel it and I think with with Doko just being full of Kings fans it kind of was a a moment of realization that we're really here this is different and again yeah. you know we've been going to Kings games at Do- in Doko and at Golden Ones since it opened and uh, I've never you, you see the lines form to go in the arena and right. sometimes for sellouts are kind of like long lines but this was different. People were packed above Punchbowl Social Nuts. with with flags and banners and people had literally them. shoulder to shoulder. It, it was it was insane. It was literally insane, yeah. and it just was like you said. It was better than you could have imagined. And obviously, when the Kings were out on the floor, I just got goosebumps. Yeah, and, and those I'm, intros, oh, goosebumps. My and God, I'm getting goosebumps literally right now. Like crazy. I can feel the hairs on my neck standing up. It it, it was like a a twenty year celebration just mm-hmm. all at once, and obviously. Game one, I think, became a lot more special, and game two as well because right. the Kings won those games, and that just kind of put the cherry on top of how special it was of of a day in Sacramento and, I guess, a couple of games. And um, obviously the whole series as a whole was special too. I mean, yeah. we, we weren't gifted to a, oh, the Kings, you know, they they played four or five games and mm-hmm. they battled in each game, but they, they lost the series 4-1. We got a seven-game series got a war. where a couple events could have gone the Kings' way, or I guess one one yeah. shot could have gone major flashpoint yeah. the king's way and that that was maybe a we can talk i guess about yeah, we'll get that was that. a huge sticking point and, yeah. yeah but uh the, i'd say the, the the return to the playoffs or the return of the roar hey now was a lot better than i could have ever imagined yeah hands down definitely well it's been officially uh th- yep i got it right 30 i wrote it down 37 days a little more than exactly a month yeah yeah a little bit over a month since we've last seen the kings and in that kings warriors series um, what, what, when you think about that series, a month and some change removed, what, what, what comes to mind? What's the thing that you can't get out of your head thinking about the series? It could be positive. It could be should negative. We, should we do a positive and a negative? Sure. Let's okay. do a positive and a negative. Uh, a positive was, I think I said it on the air with, uh, with Nick and Rami. And I think, um, I think Nick or Jay or someone was like, I, I said, De'Aaron Fox is meant for the big moment. That's mine too. He's, he's meant for the big moment. And I think a couple of the guys were like, well, I don't know. And. You know, the playoffs are different. He's different. 38 points in game one, yeah. which is kind of Nuts. like this This man That's is special. A coming out party. He's special. And I think that was my biggest takeaway. The whole series, even when he broke his broke his finger, you know, the tip right. of his finger, he still goes out in game six and, and scores yep. 26 points, 11 assists with, with again, broken tip broken of his finger. finger. He never looked exactly the same after no. that. Granted, uh, game seven never could really get going. There's yeah. a lot of things wrong with game seven. Yeah. But um, De'Aaron Fox just 
unequivocally was was the main takeaway with a little sprinkle of Keegan Murray from games four through seven was special yeah. as well. Yeah, since you talked about De'Aaron, I'll talk about Keegan because De'Aaron's absolutely mine. I mean, the fact that he stepped up in that moment and then even when injured still was the Kings' best player to me, like you said, speaks to that that, that moment is built for him. Uh, I'll, I'll say Keegan Murray is my positive. Just, you know, the, it was a... <laughs> It was a really, really rough start for Keegan through the first three games, um, and and he really, really struggled at points. I was on air clamoring for for him to, you know, maybe even be moved to the bench. I think the only problem with putting Keegan on the bench was, frankly, no one else was playing well enough to to warrant starting. Um, outside and, of Trey Lyles in game one, who had outside a good of him game. in game one, yeah, exactly. But in game two, didn't show much. In game three, didn't show much. Um, and then game four was the coming out party for Keegan. We saw him uh, score twenty three points in that one. Hit and hit a good amount of threes. I think he was five of seven from three mm-hmm. in that game. Uh, it was a real coming out party. And then to me, the thing that hasn't been talked about a lot is his game seven performance. I know it was nothing really that spectacular, but for me. In the in the lowest moments of that game, when the Kings are just giving up offensive rebound after offensive rebound, and and nobody can score for the Kings, Keegan Murray was the one to me that was was the one who who was getting good shots, good looks off, and he was kind of creating it for himself. And for Keegan to in real time go through sh- real real struggle, and then figure it out also in real time and come out on the other end as one of the more impressive players from the series. To me, Keegan Murray was just a massive winner from that series. Yeah, uh, games four through seven, Keegan Murray averaged 14.5 points, eight rebounds. Wow. How about that? 51% from the field. You mentioned, I mean, there's a couple floaters hitting game seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop the run. And then 46% from three on six attempts per game. The only person who was hitting threes. No, yeah. Nobody else could really step up there. And I think that kind of speaks to the ceiling of Keegan Murray and the potential for him. The hardest stage, the, the biggest stage. Yeah. I mean, Defending for, champs. Thus far. I mean, obviously the NBA finals are the biggest stage. Right. I know that. But as a rookie, going against the defending champions, a dynasty against, I think Clay Thompson was primarily defending him, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, for the most part. Who at one point was a good defender. He's had a lot of injuries and he's 34 years old now. Yeah. But uh, Keegan Murray adjusted. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've seen all season long. He, yeah. he takes those, uh, those challenges, those adjustments, whether it's go rebound more. Uh, be more aggressive, go dunk. I think Mike Brown wanted to go go to the rim more. Uh, he did that, and the yeah. numbers they they back it up. But Keegan Murray for sure is a is a very very big positive takeaway. All right, Negative. it's time negatives. What's what's uh, no, what's you start? All right, I'll start. I'll start. Um, well, I mean, you know, offensive rebounds. <laughs> that's that's really the big thing is just allowed the amount of offensive rebounds they that they allowed. Obviously, specifically in Game Seven for sure, but really all series long, and this can just be an extension of Kavon Looney as well. Um, I cannot get out of my mind the fact that Kavon Looney had three games in this series where he finished with over twenty rebounds in a game. Absolutely disgusting. Of course, with the cherry on top being the Game Seven performance, twenty-one rebounds, ten of which I'm sorry were offensive rebounds. To me, it's the biggest hole that the Kings had during the season. We knew that that the Kings needed to bring in another backup center or a different option at center. Um, you know, we were thinking more just to give Sabonis rest, but also part of another backup center is somebody who can ideally go in and, and give a different look than what Sabonis was giving. Clearly, Looney had no issues, um, you know, with the physicality that Sabonis brought. I think the Kings truly needed some size and some length in order to frustrate Looney, which you saw in the Lakers series 
with obviously Anthony Davis, who's an incredible talent, but uh, that that's really the prototype that the Kings needed in order to neutralize somebody like Looney is a really big, long uh, physical guy who could have uh, just made it really tough to get, to get the boards. And You're they just Dwight Howard. <laughs> so you're saying Dwight Howard. I'm not saying Dwight Howard. Uh, absolutely not. Uh, I God bless Dwight for calling the Kings contenders, but uh, Dwight Howard is not the answer at backup center. But to me, <laughs> the, the, the obvious need of backup center, which we knew was a problem at the deadline and uh, is still a problem the Kings need to address to this day, uh, was the big thing that stuck out to me. You know, I, I honestly is... I'm floored to see that the Kings actually out rebounded the Warriors offensively, but in game really? seven in total, but in yeah, oh yeah, oh, wow. by, uh, by I think four or five, oh, even that though. I mean, wow, I think by like ten, but in game seven, eighteen offensive rebounds. <laughs> and again, the only reason why the Kings beat uh, the Warriors in the series is probably because of Game Six. Game Six, they completely just destroyed the Warriors on yeah. er- in every aspect. every aspect. But the Warriors in Game Seven, and I think in Game Three. Completely yeah, just dominated, just the, case. dominated yeah. the boards. Yeah. And I agree. Uh, one of the biggest runs for me this offseason, I'm sure we're going to talk about it more uh, as we get deeper into summer, is the Kings need not a Dwight Howard, but a formidable <laughs> backup big yeah. or a power forward. Uh, yeah. if, if Harrison Barnes, that doesn't come to fruition, if they sure. want to slide Keegan Murray up to the three, can they find another big man or a forward or a center that can be next to Demonis Sabonis, who, again, is a great rebounder, yeah. but he can't do it all on his own. Um, big negative for me. Let, let me just point out real quick, the, the game four missed shot from Harrison Barnes, I almost hope he can come back to the Kings somehow so that isn't his lasting memory, the last kind of thing it's we really see. really fitting here. for me. It's very fitting for, for you, yeah. You, you, uh, <laughs> we all know how much you yeah. love Harrison Barnes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it works for me. It's but, a perfect ending. I, I that say, sticks out. That definitely sticks out to me. Also, by the way, that shot. I don't want to say the whole series because a, a lot of things go into the end of a game. Sure, absolutely, and, but what other look do you want? No, it's in game a four. Beautiful look. It's just perfect to me. That and, and I think that was for De'Aaron where he lost his dribble, and it was a good defensive possession from from Golden State. Obviously, but we also didn't know at that point his finger was broken. We had no idea, and it was. It was at that point. And he'd held his finger a couple minutes before that. That was mm-hmm. when he started to kind of like shaking it and holding it. Yeah. But, um, I don't want to dwell on it and HP's and so many good <laughs> things for the Kings and but that that shot really yeah uh, that's a big negative takeaway for me but um, I was very disappointed in in, in obviously Kevin I think Kevin Herter you yeah you have to start yeah. with three point shooting and Kevin Herter is a guy yeah. who was an incredible three point shooter for the Kings this year he was I think sixth or seventh all time in uh, single season three point uh, yeah. made three point field goals for the Kings it just doesn't seem characteristic uh, from him. And I'm I'm wondering what your take on it. is. It, is that something that you're concerned about for the future, or do you think it was just a matter of Golden State had a plan? They wanted to see off the King shooters. They did that in the first couple of games, like holding Keegan Murray in check, yeah. holding Kevin Herter in check, who never could really seem to get it going. Harrison Barnes never really got it going either. Um, do you think that's a, just a collective thing? The Kings as a team were struggling, or do you look at Kevin Herter in, in particular and just go, "Well, that kind of is a red flag there." A little bit of a red flag for sure. I mean, I'm not willing to. I, I know a lot of people are now like, let's trade Kevin Hurt. I'm nowhere near there. I'm not. I'm not ready to to ship off Red Velvet anytime soon. I think you know you can't forget about what he did during the regular season and and just completely throw that away because he had a bad postseason. Um, but it's absolutely something to monitor. I mean, Herter was really streaky throughout the the regular season as well. I mean, we saw the first what, like two months of the season, he shot 50% or somewhere near there from three. 
and then really cooled down and it was pretty hot or cold for the rest of the season. Uh, and then ultimately just was, was ice cold in that playoffs. I mean, I have his numbers here, 9.1 points in the series, 34% from the field, 20% from three, eight of 39 total from three point land. That's concerning to me. I also saw this thing on Reddit uh, in the middle of that series that Kevin Herter, we all think of the game seven, Kevin Herter uh, that he had in Atlanta against Philadelphia had 27 points on 50% from three in every other playoff game. Kevin Herter has averaged a toy. If you just remove that game from Kevin Herter's existence, he averages 9.6 points per game in the playoffs on 30% shooting from three, which is honestly probably lower now after after the Kings series. A little bit concerning, and I know Kevin hasn't you know been in the role that he was in uh, Sacramento. He's doing things in Sacramento that he wasn't asked to do in Atlanta in terms of having a bigger role in Kevin's shot. Kevin, the Kings needed Kevin Herter to hit threes in order for them to advance in this series. Whereas in Atlanta, if Kevin Herter missed threes, they had bogey, they had Trey Young, they have other guys that it's not as big of a deal if Kevin struggles because they have other answers. With the Kings, they needed Kevin to step up. And so every single shot that he took just had a little bit more importance. And I think it takes some time to get adjusted to that. You know, Sabonis kind of went through a similar thing this this postseason as well. So it's something I'm concerned about, but, you know, I'm not going to throw away Whatever he had you know, a great season. Yeah, exactly. I'm he not going to throw away season. 80 regular season games just because he struggled for seven. Clay had a horrible uh, second round. Yeah, atrocious, right. atrocious. Yeah, I mean, it, it, with shooters, you're like most shooters are streaky. Yeah. That's how you know no one's going to shoot 50 percent every night. It's a game of averages. You're going to have a really big night. I mean, right. it's all numbers. You know, math hard, <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's, tough. It, it's uh it's normal for shooters to get streaky. And yeah. I think Golden State really tried to shut down the King shooters. And yeah. They did a great they, job. They did a great also job. Also, that, that's that's definitely the underlying thing of all of this is Golden State did a hell of a job. They let I De'Aaron mean, Fox shoot in the cup first couple of games, and he he hurt them, but mm-hmm. the rest of the guys didn't. I mean, Malik Monk, big couple of games. Yep. He, uh, he kind of, his shooting tapered off, but um, also just kind of point out Malik Monk, great series. So just want to make sure Monk, that's terrific series. terrific series. Absolutely incredible. 20, 19 points per game uh, for Malik in this series. Uh, let's wrap up this, this, this reminiscing of the series, talking about the final game of the series, game seven. A lot has been made of game seven. Obviously the Kings uh, got, got massively out rebounded, but also the, the bigger note from that is that they allowed Steph Curry to score 50 points, which at the time uh, was the record for game seven Not points. Anymore. Not anymore. Thankfully, Jason Taylor, <laughs> Him. shout out you boy uh thank uh, you yep yep 50 yeah he got he threw up the 50 should have 51 <laughs> you should have had yeah 5-1 so uh, well this is probably this mirrored way. so uh <laughs> uh so yeah that was really the the big note from that game what are what are your feelings on game seven uh all this time removed now uh just emotionally thoughts, more, more emotionally, emotionally at sure. halftime i just felt like okay neither team has played very well yeah. but you know, the Kings had their moments. Golden State had their moments. Made a big run at the end of the second. Here we go. This is going to be a great second half. It's going to be a great basketball game. Ooh, All the emotions kind of, you know, we're having our halftime churros in the, yep. oh, in the, the press those. room. Missed I miss the, so the purple beam churros. Purple beam churros. So good. But I hadn't really thought about how Davion barely played until the second half. Whoa. Well, we're in the dark now. I think we, I think. It's well, okay. It's we got, right. we got it's lights. Fine. We got now, lights. We're, now we're like on a stage. Yeah, now we're here. on stage. So. No, uh, when, as soon as Davion didn't play in the second half, I became... Like in the beginning of the third quarter, when Golden State really started making their run and Kevon Looney started just grabbing rebounds, Steph Curry was getting all the second chance points. Mm. I became concerned. 
Yeah. And <laughs> once the game ended, I think, what did he play in game seven? I think he played eight minutes. Davion, or? yeah, it was something like, uh, it might have even been like less that right than here. that. He, he, he didn't really play much of it all, and, and obviously we all know uh, it seems like Mike Brown opted for Terrence Davis instead. Eight, eight minutes, Terrence Davis played 25 minutes. And again, mm-hmm. like TD, 14 points, it's great. They want him to have an offensive edge. Yeah. Uh, hit four of his 10 three-point field goals, that's great. Um, good offensive performance, right? But defense, he was getting absolutely just torched. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're getting torched by Steph Curry. You, I think we talked about it before, but there was, I don't know if it's on the air or what, but is there a, a, a way that you can just let Steph Curry get what he's going to get? Yeah. And then just try to slow down the other guys. We just saw that point blank that letting Steph Curry go for 50 points will not end well for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of have gone back and forth on that since, since it's happened. I feel like, the Kings could have survived Steph scoring 50 because especially looking back at, at all the numbers, Steph pretty much went off every single day. I mean, game one, 30, game two, 28, game three, 36, game four, 32, game five, 31, game six, 29, and then crescendo with the 50. I, I, he, to me, that's, that's where I understand Mike Brown's thought process of, why are we spending, you know, Davion's playing incredible defense. Again, Davion Mitchell, huge, massive, cannot be understated or overstated enough how big of an impact Davion had. I thought he was probably the King's second or third most important player for a majority of that series, but it didn't matter. It did not matter. Steph Curry was still getting what Steph Curry needed to get, and and I frankly believe that Mike Brown saw it as kind of like what we see in this Denver series where Miami's a lot like he's going to go crazy no matter what we do. We might as well just let him score and try and take away the other options. I just think the problem is the Kings could have survived the 50, but they allowed all of those offensive rebounds, all of those extra possessions. And they also missed a lot of free throws as well. I I think, I I think they just missed a lot of opportunity. And when I look back on it, it's just a lot more missed opportunity instead of the Warriors actually winning that game. 16 of uh, 27, 59% from the free throw line. Oh my gosh. And And a game seven closeout. Come on. And you know, Golden State struggled too. They went 19 of 30. I remember both teams were not making free throws. Yeah, they couldn't make anything. 63%. But uh, Steph Curry, 20 of 38. That's a lot of shots. Like they made him work too. He took 38 38 shots. 38 shots. 38 shots. I mean, I'm looking at the King shots here. I mean, uh, De'Aaron Fox had 19 shots. Samasa Bonus had a very good game in Game 7. He had, uh, no one 20, wants to talk about it. 22, 8, and 7, two blocks. He finally figured things out, but yeah. uh, could not keep – he got in foul trouble, could not keep Kevon Looney off the glass. Yeah. And obviously, whoever the Kings threw in after that didn't work either. Yep. Um, so, Game 7, obviously, Seth Curry, a generational-type performance. The yeah. the decision to not play Davion Mitchell will hang over Mike Brown. Would it have, yeah. made, would it have made that much of a difference? Probably like I don't think so. not like I think if it makes Steph score thirty eight or thirty nine, I mean the Kings was like Kings game lost by, by twenty. They, lost, yeah, by they 20. lost by twenty. So maybe other things can happen. Yeah, I, we'll never know. But didn't help that none of the Kings players also had anything going for no. them offensively. De'Aaron, and to me, that's again where I fall. Where it's like, yeah, Steph scored fifty, and like, yeah, we gave up a ton of offensive rebounds, but like, we were not scoring. Like the Kings looked terrible. On two offense. players scored fifty percent or shot fifty percent or better from the field. Can you name those two players? Alex Len and Davion Mitchell. <laughs> Demonis Sabonis, 10 of 16 from the field. Hey, shout out him. Keegan Murray. <laughs> wow. 5 of 10. Keegan Murray. Again, Keegan just Murray, continues man. to impress. Keegan Murray. The more and more I look at it, I'm just like, yeah, that's that's a really solid start for Keegan. And then, yeah, you look at Keegan's series numbers. He shot 44% from the field, 37% from, from three. Like, 
That's that's a pretty decent way to start your career, especially if that's just the baseline of who you're going to be. Final thought on the series before we move on yeah. to no, that's, a that's, couple offseason things, yeah. I guess. Um, I will say about the series, I think one of the biggest critiques in the Kings was they lack experience, and if they play a team with a lot of experience, that's going to put them in a pretty right. bad hole. That hole. Yeah. I think we learned with this series that this team was built for the moment. Yeah, And absolutely. they rose to the challenge. And if you need to go ahead and get playoff experience – Here's the perfect way to do that. You play the defending champions, yep. one of the greatest dynasties in NBA history. They have that under their belt now. So I'm feeling very confident in this Kings team going forward because uh, not only did they go and get the experience they needed, they did it against the defending champions and did it against some Hall of Famers. Yeah, no, that's absolutely what you should take from the series is is that because that was the main talking point was, okay, this is as bad as it gets for the Kings, like a team with ultimate inexperience against a team with the all ultimate, of all of the experience, literally been through everything. As a matter of fact, they hadn't been through everything. They had never been down 0-2 in a series before. And in this series, went down 0-2 and won the series. So now they, we can officially say the Kings have now put them through everything. And so so for the Kings to go through that series and truly, I mean, they battled. They battled. They battled a series. That was an absolute war of a series. And for them to survive it and be able to to kind of come out on the other side with a lot of respect, I think, from the NBA community as a whole, to me, that's that's just awesome to to have your team uh come out of their first series. And and really it it was only one series, but I it feels like they 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 gained more than one mm-hmm. series worth of knowledge from, from it felt like everything. A marathon. It really did. Four it of really, a seven, really did. Four of those seven games came out in the last uh, two minutes. Mm-hmm. So, um, and one of the biggest things I was talking to to my, my girlfriend about it too is just about how I can't believe like some people, like fans or teams or journalists, media people, have to go do that again and then again yep. and then again. A big takeaway for me as well it's was like, wow. like wow, wow. I, there was times where in the middle of that Lakers Warrior series, I was like, "Could you imagine if we 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 would be in L.A. right we now? We're about to buy our tickets to L.A. And We're- then imagine if they would make the Western Conference final. I was like, "Oh boy! Like people are still working right now. Yeah, hair would be falling out. Man. Oh my hair goodness, hair be falling out in yeah. bunches. But it, it it's it was a tiring but fun experience yeah. for for everybody. I mean, yeah. the Kings as well, I'm sure. But um, they're there, and I'm so happy yeah. we we t- to move on to off season talk now, yep. not talk about. No draft the drought yep. and how we need a franchise altering draft pick. Yep. Now we need to talk about pieces around the yes. Kings, and that's a perfect way to uh, kind of chalk up this offseason. Yep. What can they do to surround the core? Yep, and part of that uh, building of this offseason is is the guy who who's been talked about probably more than any bench player ever has been talked about ever. You're and that you're already calling him a bench player. Sasha Vizenkov is <laughs> is uh, has been talked about uh, endlessly, and will he come to Sacramento? Obviously, Sasha is over in Greece right now playing for Olympiacos. Uh, unfortunately, lost the championship in the EuroBasket final in a great, great game. Uh, Sasha has, for those who don't know, won EuroLeague MVP, um, put up it was 16 points. Uh, is that his number? I have right here. So for, for this season, 17.6 points, 6.8 rebounds. Uh, he shoots 38% from three wow. and 65% on two-point field goals. He is not much of a playmaker. He can. We'll get into, I guess, what we like about his yeah. game, but two assists per game. Um, yeah, he's currently now in the, the Greek Basket League. 
uh, championship. That. And they're up 1-0. It's best 3-5. of five. Mm. So he's still playing basketball right now. So uh, that that's kind of where this all starts because the Kings can't really uh, negotiate on whether or not uh, he'll he'll come over here until he's done playing over there until in the Europe. Draft, apparently. Really, until the draft. From, so, what, from what I've gathered, the Kings can't – I mean, they're going to talk. They're right. going to talk. Yeah, they're going to they have conversations. Have, they've they made – plenty of plane trips over there to go watch him play. They've had communication with him. They've spoken to him. I mean, I've heard for months now that there's an avenue to getting it done, but they can't officially lock anything in until the draft Mm. is over because you can't sign undrafted uh, rookies or free agents, whatever Mm. you draft, until the draft is over. Interesting. That's like when you sign a rookie to a new deal. Yeah. It it makes sense, but it goes for past drafts as well. So, yeah, they're they're making – they're just very, very – evident yeah. but they can't ink him officially so don't no one expect it to happen before june 22nd there's still a big will he won't he conversation happening it for a very long time felt like it was all but an inevitability that sasha would come over to sacramento after his euro league season uh but recently as recently as uh you know the this this week we've heard that that might not be the case, that Sasha might actually consider staying over in Europe. I mentioned he didn't win the EuroLeague championship. That's been a goal of his that he stated um, from from even before they were in the EuroLeague finals. Um, he, that, that, that is a real goal for him is, is European success. And uh, he did not find that success. And so there is question on whether or not he will come over to Sacramento in an unidentified role here for the Kings next season. You said he was going to be a bench player. I said he was going to be a bench player. I think that there's there's um, obviously on the Kings side of things, there's a lot of questions with bringing Sasha over, mainly uh, where will he play? What will his role be? The Kings have a big decision this offseason, which we will talk about, I'm sure, plenty uh, in further episodes about Harrison Barnes and what they do with Harrison Barnes' starting spot. If they bring him back, if they sign and trade him, if they just let him walk, what will that decision be? How does that play into what Sasha will do and uh, what Sasha's role will be. We can talk all about that later. First things first, Frankie, what about Sasha's Sasha Vizankov's game sticks out most to you? He's a quick release. He does. It is a quick. It is. It almost looks funny. Dare I say it looks, it looks strange. It looks strange. It goes in. That thing's wet. It's very flicky. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Almost like Sean Marion, how he had his little. It is esque. Yeah. But it's a set shot. Yeah. But it's very flicky. Yeah. But it goes in. It it's goes wet. in. It definitely and goes in. I, I think that in an offense with the Kings, who they're very heavy on ball movement, and even looking today through some some uh, some draft prospects the Kings have been linked to, they want more shooting. Yeah. Like, you can tell they want more shooters. And with Demonis Sabonis, and we know he's the dribble handoff king, um, Darren Fox is a good playmaker. They have guys that can move the basketball around. Adding a guy like Sasha, who, again, is he had some crafty passes in the EuroLeague. And, again, this is not the NBA that's different. Um, there are some, again, watching EuroLeague, there are a lot of people in those leagues where you're kind of like, hmm, I remember him. Yeah, so Isaiah got, Cannon. Isaiah Shout Cannon. Shima Moneki. Shima Moneki, absolutely. There, there are plenty of players. Uh, Tariq Black yeah. is, is, in, is, in the, is on his, uh, is on Olympiacos, I think. So there are players that are obviously defending Sasha Vizankov, and yeah. they were NBA-level players at once, but it's different. Can he get those shots off as quick mm-hmm. in an NBA defense? I think so. Can he be as efficient? Um, I, I think so as well. I, I don't think he's going to come over here and be um, – a starting power four and average, you know, 20 points per game or anything yeah. like that. But that's not really what the Kings need. And when the Kings need, they need a shooter, they need a floor spacer, they need someone who can play physical basketball. I think he can do that as well. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be the greatest thing ever. I don't know if people are chalking him up 
to be. Yeah, a, he's a, definitely not Luka Doncic. That's for no, sure. and that's what people like. I and I kind of joke about it too because I think it's on a list of recent uh, MVPs. Euro MVPs. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of them is a Kings great, a Kings legend, Nemanja Bjelica. Yes, sir. So he is a Euro League MVP winner. Right. But look, I think he help, would help the Kings again. Like you said, he probably would come off the bench, and I, I think that's something he probably will be talking to Monty McNair and Mike Brown. Right. And, and maybe we're wrong. I think maybe the fact that Mike Brown and Jordy Fernandez and uh, all the very front true. office, they, maybe that speaks to the fact that they would be open to putting him at that uh, very, power very forward true. spot. Um, but that puts a lot of pressure on Keegan Murray, then opens up a lot of questions. Yeah. So it means Harrison Barnes is probably gone or coming off the bench. Yeah. Again, we'll have a Harrison Barnes episode, I'm sure. But Definitely. what about you? I mean, have you gotten a chance to watch any of his games? Are you, are you kind of skeptical? Yeah. Do you, do you like the idea of having him in that HB role more than HB? I mean, have you tried, t- started to weigh over that option or... Um, I have watched a good, a good amount of Sasha and like live action Sasha, not just the highlights. And he's, he's got some things for sure that, that stick out as, as like, Oh, that's something you can do. And that's transferable to the NBA. I think, um, his shooting ability, you mentioned, yeah, his shot release is funny, but it goes in, um, his, his ability to play already off dribble handoffs is definitely something that sticks out. Um, for me, it's like not really something that's, it's just really something I noticed is he really just understands spacing, which I think is really big for, especially if you're going to be a stretch four. just understanding like how to properly where to stand on the floor and when are the right moments to cut and, and where to stand to, to best, you know, confuse a defense. I think um, really something I noticed, he's a great cutter as well. Again, bring some things that you can directly see or transferable, especially to the Kings offense. Um, I just I have questions on on what his ceiling is. That that's really the big thing for me is he's coming in as a 28 year old guy, kind of already uh, done a lot of a, a lot of improvement in his game. I don't know how much better he can necessarily get. Um, not really somebody who puts the ball on the ground much, doesn't dribble much, which is great for for his shooting style and again playing off of dribble handoffs, but. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he can create his own offense. I don't love how his finishing looks, um, you know, especially around the rim, not a rim protector. I have questions about his rebounding. I have questions about his athleticism, his overall physicality. I don't really see him throwing his weight around much. Mm. So there's definitely some concerns. He's a big guy, but yeah, I don't really know if he's got like NBA level strength. So, so we'll see. I mean, he's definitely got a good build to him and you know, he's got some tools to work with. Um, But again, it really just comes down to me with, with what, what they view his his valuation at? How good do they think Sasha Vizenkov can be? Do they view him as a starter? I definitely don't, especially not coming in. I think he'd be best suited coming in playing eighteen to twenty three, twenty five minutes so a game. I think Max. That's the question now. I think is obviously if you bring Sasha over, that means one of or both of Trey Lyles right. and Harrison Barnes right. can't come back. Yeah. And does that make it like does does that make you more uncomfortable with the fact that if you bring Sasha over? You have to say goodbye to one or both of those guys. Well, you know how I feel about Trey Lyles, and you know how I feel about Harrison Barnes. I know, how, <laughs> I, I, I know which which four, number yeah. forty over forty jersey you begin, 40, and yeah. it doesn't end with a zero. No, it does not end with a zero. But. I think uh, to me, that's that's a great question. I mean, that's that's the question: is is does Sasha come at the expense of one of those guys? Um, 
to me, it would be a real shame if it's at the expense of Trey Lyles. And I know Harrison Barnes is a starter, and I would also also acknowledge that Harrison Barnes coming back in that starter role is a lot more important than Trey Lyles coming back in his bench role. Um, but I think that if you are bringing in Sasha thinking he's going to be your Trey Lyles replacement, I think that that's just not not going to happen. I think that they play two different styles. I think Trey is a lot more of a 4-5, and Sasha is a little bit more of a two, three, or four. Um, you know, he just doesn't really bring that physicality. I think where we saw Trey Lyles, we were hoping that he would kind of be that backup center. I don't have the same aspirations for Sasha Vizenkov. I don't think he could play a backup center role. Um, in terms of his replacement for Harrison Barnes, you know, maybe, but again, that's kind of also asking the question of how good do you think Sasha could be? Could Is he a starter-level guy, especially coming straight over from Europe? I don't see it, but maybe the Kings do. I, I don't know. Do you do you feel like he would you be upset if that was the plan? If, if the plan him? is to bring in Sasha Vizenkov to start. I wouldn't be upset. I mean, obviously I would be shocked. Just because that's the plan doesn't mean that's how it's gonna end. I mean, if they want to try it out and see how it works, I'm open to it. I mean, especially if it's something that you think he is a player that can be a difference maker and if that's gonna be kind of a a sticking point for him, which I'd imagine is something his role is important. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why he hasn't signed here already is he wanted a, a clear role. Yeah, he's got to know what he's signing up for. For, right? for a winning yeah. team. I think last year the main reason why he did not sign with the Kings is because of how bad they yeah. were. It makes um, sense. I don't so, blame him. So, I mean, I'm willing to see how things go and try things out, but yeah. um, obviously I think the Kings need a proven uh, small forward or power forward, however they want to interchange that Keegan Murray and small, and small forward position. But um, th- those are questions we're going to have to dive into once free agency opens. But yep. I clearly, I like Sasha Vizenkov. I would like him to come to the Kings. And uh, what that contract looks like, I, I think they have to take a part of their, their mid-level exception. I think it'd be around maybe yeah. 4 or $5 million. I can't remember the exact figures on that. But uh, plus the buyout fee, which is $1.5 million. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be interesting because they have about another couple days here of the, the Greek mm-hmm. League playoffs. And then, I mean, again, they say officially you can't till the draft, but I know these guys are probably talking anyway. So. Yeah. yeah, you got to assume that they're talking. And, uh, yeah, I mean, next up is is the NBA draft where the Kings have the 24th pick. It's, it's going to be interesting to not be up in the lottery and not really know what's going to be available at 24. Will they even make the 24th pick? Will they ship it off? I don't know. Uh, but that's what we're going to talk about next week as the draft is only two weeks from this coming thursday uh so it's 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 right around the corner and uh yeah it's time to get into draft mode and, and start looking at all those prospects and watching all those videos and paying attention to all those draft boards i started, I started a, i'm not gonna you lie did, I, started, hey. I started a couple days ago. plug it plug it uh, I, uh I, I it took me a longer it was nice yeah. to kind of turn the brain i know you couldn't because you're on the air yeah i'm turning my brain off for yeah uh from basketball for a couple days a lot of baseball stuff but i got i can't lie doing the couple pre-draft profiles that you can find and check them out SmackdownSports.com they have me excited no matter who they draft the 24 I'm going to talk myself into can't wait can't wait for uh, draft season is right around the corner we'll be talking about that next week on next week's show again the Kings have the 24th 38th and 54th picks in this year's draft three potential new Sacramento Kings could be coming along for the ride Uh, but that will all be for next week yes Frank it's been a pleasure to uh, hop back on the mics. It's been way, way, way too long for Frankie Cardicelli. My name is Chris Watkins. Thank you all for tuning in. We will be back next Thursday. See ya.